This podcast is brought to you by CEW at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor as we work to serve our community during this unprecedented time of change. Resiliency is best demonstrated in times of challenges. Join CEW Director Tiffany Mara as she talks to students, staff, faculty, and community members connected to the University of Michigan Center for the Education of Women Plus in this new podcast, Strength in the Midst of the Pandemic. this call today to share your experiences related to COVID and all that's going on in the world. The purpose of this project is to capture stories of how the coronavirus has impacted our lives, including challenges, moments of pride, and strengths for others to learn from. The main audience for this podcast will be students who have child or elder care responsibilities so that they can hear stories of others to assist as they navigate self-care and the care of loved ones. Please just start by introducing yourself, your relationship to CEW, and describe how your old normal has shifted as a result of COVID-19. Sure. My name is Matt Nelson. I'm a PhD student here at Michigan in College of Engineering. My relationship to CEW goes back years. Once I started and returned as an adult student, I was able to receive a CEW scholarship, and I've talked to one of the social workers there. So I want to say that was back in 2012. How has this COVID affected my life? Well, the pandemic happened at an interesting time for me. In January, I found out that my uh, my wife was pregnant and was, we were expecting our first child. And then a couple of weeks later, I found out that I had cancer. And so kind of going through this, you know, ups and downs, uh, process of the new year 2020 and everything that was going on with it. I was actually in the hospital having surgery in March, but when the first cases started to get announced in uh, the state of Michigan, and in fact, I was in the hospital when they brought the first patient to uh, U of M uh, hospital. There's a lot of uncertainty there about what that meant, whether university had the protocol set up to be able to deal with COVID and a lot of people were just kind of uncertain and very scared. Then returned home to find that the world would seem to be very different. We had not gone grocery shopping upon returning home. Going grocery shopping was a challenge because there was a run on toilet paper and a number of essential items and we really didn't know how long this would last. And so now trying to go shopping and, you know, post-surgery, I, I, it was very difficult for me to move. I was on, you know, given a handicap sticker. The only way I could go to a store was they had the carts that I could fit in and, and go and drive around. Couldn't walk, couldn't stand up for, you know, significant distances. And I also have a pregnant wife at the same time. So trying to go shopping, and that was a bit of a challenge. Being at home, I think for me, and recovering while all these things were going on, made it so that I didn't feel like I was missing out on the part of life that had been put on pause. So I wasn't going to be able to go and hang out and uh, really enjoy outside and see family in the same manner as I would if I was healthy. So the timing almost seemed to be like perfect for me uh, based on if this thing would have, you know, when this thing could have possibly hit. It ended up affecting a lot of people that I know personally particularly because I'm from Detroit, native Detroiter, and Detroit was a hot spot for the virus to spread relatively quickly for a couple of reasons. One, Detroit has a very strong dancing culture, 
and I was a part of the ballroom dance community for a number of years. As you can imagine, in ballroom dance, you're, you know, dancing body to body with numerous people uh, at any given night. And so the virus kind of spread through that community relatively quickly. The second was, and it's somewhat associated, um, there was a DJ in Donna Faye Collins who used to be on the radio all the time. He was also a part of that dance community as well. And they had a brunch. He was, a, I think, a deputy police officer. And they had a brunch for a number of fellow police officers, many of them who were also a part of the dance community. And very quickly, the virus spread throughout the police department. And so you had a number of people who were quarantined and so on and so forth. So it hit home for me. And I probably know maybe 15 to 20 people who have died um, from the virus, uh, including my godfather. And that was really tough because we were not able to, you know, have a traditional funeral. He was well known and loved uh, across the city and worked as a DJ and, and for 20, 30 years or so. So it just completely changed the way that people could respond to normal life circumstances. A number of friends had birthdays, you know, had to have them quarantined or virtually. That's especially tough for young kids who just want to know why their friends and relatives and cousins can't come over and play. So explaining it to my nieces and nephews was, was particularly challenging. Research, not being very clear about what was allowable and what was not, especially given that travel was kind of frozen, not being able to go into you know a traditional lab setting, having friends who were defending and now they were defending virtually and going into a job market where most universities have frozen hiring, not really taking on any postdocs. You know, what do you do after you spend five years, you know, getting to this point where now you feel like you successful, made it, going to go on and make money, and there are no jobs. So just trying to be emotionally supportive of those who are in that position. I have a number of friends in that position. I'm fortunate that the work that I do is federally funded. And so I don't have the same type of restrictions or even worry about my salary. My wife is a social worker, so she has a relatively stable job, stable income. So financially, we're set. But my sister isn't. She didn't get unemployment. She's been laid off for eight weeks. My mother-in-law has uh, been furloughed from her job uh, without pay. And so it, it's definitely affected, you know, our family in a number of ways. Yeah, so first I want to just note, you know, are you doing okay? Was the surgery successful that you had for your cancer? And how's your wife doing? The surgery went very well, as well as could be expected. They were able to remove the majority of the tumor. The part that they were not able to remove was technically not cancerous. And so because it doesn't test positive at the margins, they consider that a successful surgery. In terms of successful outcomes, it's as good as I could have asked for. That's that's amazing news. How's your wife doing mm -hmm. with the pregnancy? She's doing really well. This has been, I can't say easy pregnancy, but there have been no health complications. Genetic testing, everything has come back positive. She's had no real significant health issues, you know, blood pressure, gestational diabetes, all that stuff. We haven't had any problems with it. So that's a blessing, just asking for health, you know, for her and the baby. 
and she's carried it pretty well. I think her only concern is whether she's going to be forced to have a virtual baby shower or not. Mm -hmm. Um, But if that's the biggest concern, I'll take it, you know. Oh, yeah, that's not bad. And uh, keeping everybody safe, you know, especially you just coming out of surgery, it might actually be better. You know, you've experienced a lot, the death of your godfather and cancer, the surgery, finding out the amazing news that your wife is pregnant, plus all the changes to your schooling and research. In all of this, um, what would you consider has been your greatest challenge? What has been my greatest challenge? I think that I set such a high standard for myself in terms of productivity outcomes, progress, that it makes it difficult when I'm not able to make the type of progress that I want. So those internal expectations. And I, I've had advisors that are relatively understanding, you know, based on this process, same thing with my program. But at times it still mentally feels like I'm falling behind. I think that's going to be a case for, you know, just just this generation of student researchers, you know, with with so much put on pause, this will be a part of our story. And I think that ultimately those who decide to go into academia, people will have to be somewhat understanding that we might look different on paper. You know, our our publications and track record might look different, but sometimes it's a hard pill for me to swallow. How do you think, you know, let's say you are going into academia, when you become a faculty member, how might this experience shape your interactions with future students you might be mentoring? I've always had the gift of compassion, so I think that would have been there regardless. I think that maybe perspective increases in terms of what potential students might be going through this time is magnifying, you know, what's going on outside of campus life. So, you know, people are dealing with all kind of living situations at home. People are dealing with, you know, managing the expectations of their family as well as the needs of their family. So I think it would help me in, in, in terms of, you know, that level of perspective. But it also gives me another tool to talk about overcoming adversity. And that's kind of been my story for some time. You know, I was kicked out of my first high school, turned to do very well, got accepted into Michigan. Got kicked out of Michigan after two years because of academic reasons. Took seven years and came back and made the dean's list and did university honors, right? So, like, my story is one of over overcoming odds, you know, divorced parents, you know, mother used drugs been in, you know, accidents and life-threatening situations, you know, dealt with uh, multiple health issues, right? But I've been, always been able to overcome. So in this moment, I have a, I have some resilience that other students might not have, and I understand that. So my perspective isn't, you know, how am I going to make it through this? I will make it through this. I know that I'm going to make it through it. I don't know what it looks like, but I'm sure I'm going to find success. And so this just gives me another example to point to where when chaos and everything was going on, even, you know, being in hospital, I didn't lose my focus. I was back being productive um, uh, in terms of my, my actual job. I was back being productive a week after surgery within the pandemic. 
And so helping students to maintain their focus and their discipline, even though they're dealing with the chaos, it's fine. Deal with the chaos, take some time off, do what you need to do, but don't allow it to negatively affect the trajectory uh, of your success. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's quite an amazing story of resilience. When you think about, you know, in this chaotic period or when something else may prop up in your life that just kind of throws everything for a loop, you know, what do you, do you have anything that you tell yourself to help you get through the period? Like what you just said, you would say to students, I think is a part of that, but are there strategies that you use to remind yourself to stay on course? So there is the mental aspect and then there's the tactical aspect. The mental aspect says, I've been here before. I've been through worse. Other people have been through worse. Other people are going through worse right now. And they're still finding ways to survive, to thrive, to succeed in some cases. So can I. So just telling myself that, telling myself that, reminding myself that I'm a winner. At the end of the, end of the day, I'm going to win whatever it is I'm trying to accomplish. Winning might look different, and it looks different to everybody, but when you develop that mindset of a winner, a succeeder, an overcomer, then you'll always be that, and all your actions will be indicative of that. In terms of tactical, I think now is not the time to multitask. Now is the time to be laser-focused on the one or two things that you can get done in a short amount of time and get it off your plate. If in a week you got to apply for a grant, if you got to get your finances in order, you got to do fast for your plan for emergency student funding, you got to talk to your parents. I mean, it, now's not the time to multitask. Figure out each day what are the one or two things that you could do to knock it off your plate and work through it methodically. And you also might need to understand that some of the things that you were doing, but you didn't quite understand why, might need to go to the wayside until you can come up with a concrete enough why in terms of its importance and what you're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like priorities become even more important when chaos strikes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Priorities and purpose. Mm -hmm. And then the combination of the two is what it sounds like you just articulated really well. You know, in, in all of this, could you name one positive thing that surfaced in this period? One positive thing that surfaced to me was I recognized how much that my presence and the work that I have done has mattered to people. Just the outpouring of love and support just from, you know, my medical issues to the baby in a way. Just people have just kind of gone out of their way to let me know, you know, how much I matter to them. Because then I was able to create, you know, these nationwide friendships and communities based off of the, the work in the, in the diversity and inclusion space I've been doing. And, you know, something as simple as our baby shower isn't until July 12th. And we put a registry link and literally half of the things on our registry have already been purchased and shipped via Amazon or Target. That that's that's astounding to me, right? And so like people are definitely supporting more. And the folks that I've been reaching out to 
to that have information or resources that I need to complete my work, they seem to be much more responsive and much more receptive in terms of providing those resources. I think the university community, like everybody has really stepped up. We all know what we're going through. And I don't think I've heard a no yet from anything that I've asked for. It doesn't matter. I have not heard a no yet. Yeah, that's an impressive track record, given all that's going on in people's lives. Now, what made you decide out of everything you could be doing in this 20-minute period, what made you decide to participate in this podcast? I realized the importance of storytelling, particularly because there are a number of people who are going through things and they feel like they're the only one. They feel like they're alone. They feel like they're the only ones who are adult students and are struggling in school. It's like they're the only ones who have to take care of their family at this time. It's like they're the only ones who are stuck with an old computer and technology is is becoming a hindrance uh, versus helping them to connect and stay engaged. Typically, it's like they're the only ones. But having platforms where they can hear those stories of people who went through that situation came out the other side and can give them some practical tips on how to make it, it makes their situation more palatable. Um, It makes it seem like it's something that I can overcome and I'm not in this alone, especially if you combine it with, you know, resources of other people and counseling and so on and so forth. So, I've always tried to do that. I've participated in a number of podcasts, and I've just realized the power of telling my story. Mm-hmm. Now, this might be the hardest question for people, especially um, overachievers, as you've described yourself. But what are you most proud of as having navigated in this situation? You know, personally proud of. I am proud of. I'm proud of how I've been able to maintain my mentality during this process. Being being told that you have such a significant illness where people don't really know how to support you or talk to you about it, it's almost like a blow to other people when you tell them you have cancer, no matter how you've rectified it in your mind. And... I remember walking away from from the cancer center, Robo Cancer Center that day, and I, I broke down for a minute in the hospital because I was like, how am I going to tell my wife? Because I know the first thing that she's going to think is that there's a chance I might not be here and she has to raise a baby by herself. Like, I know that, so I can't call her at work. Like, how do I, how do I break that to her? And just that possibility, like, I broke down for, you know, a couple of minutes in the hospital. But then after that, I said, you know, tomorrow is a different day. And I choose tomorrow to have a mindset of success and overcoming. I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. I'm not going to allow people to throw me a pity party. I'm going to attack this the same way that if I was playing sports or I was going up for a big presentation or you know, whatever the case may be, any competition, my mindset will be, I'm going to win. 
And no matter what, I'm going to own the outcomes. If it gets the best of me, I owned it. I fought it. I lost. That's fine. But there's a good chance that I'm going to win. And it's the same thing in this environment. Sure. You know, I might not be able to have the same type of research schedule that I wanted to, but I'm going to attack it with the time I do have, and I'm going to win. I'm going to win. And just that reaffirming mindset since that day in the hospital, I have not allowed myself to feel sorry or have pity or worry about what I can't do or worry about if it's not going to work out, to, to worry about am I going to lose funding. I Even if any of those things happen, I'm still going to figure out a way to win. And so just preserving my mindset um, has probably been the thing that I'm most proud of. Sounds like winning to you isn't about success or failure, but it's about just trying your best, doing everything you possibly can given your situation. But winning to you is ensuring that you did everything you possibly could. It's a little bit of both because I'm not the the participation trophy guy either, right? A part of winning is delivering, putting up the numbers, right? So like there's both. I think that you can feel comfortable if you fall short of your goal, but you did everything that you could. You can feel comfortable and confident, right? Mm-hmm. But that's just temporal. Because there's a next time, and there's a time after that, and there's a time after that. So I think that you know, falling short for me is not a failure. It's just like a it's a stepping stone on the way to my eventual success. And that's how I view my education. Sure, this test, I might have bombed, but I'm not a failure. It's a, it's something I need to go through in order to get to success. I have to diagnose why I didn't win, though. And I think that's sometimes the part that gets lost. You know, did I take my, my foot off the pedal? Did I make some excuses here? And so... You know, we talk about sometimes doing the best that we can. I don't think that anybody has seen their best yet. I don't think any of us. None of us have what they can accomplish when they're at their most stressful, highest level of stress, highest level of of need or sorrow or despair. Like, no, none of us have been pushed that far yet. So... I, I don't want to make it seem like it's just about, hey, just just trying to do your best. It's more than that. It's aspiring to be great. It's aspiring to be the best. And if you fall short of that, that's okay. But your mindset is pushing, continues to push you to even try to be great, even if you fail short. With each podcast participant, I'm trying to end on kind of a lighter note. It'll give you a chance to think about the next question as well. So the first part is, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of us are binge watching TV or movies or podcasts mm-hmm. or books, you know, to get through the stay-at-home period. So could you name one? And then the final question will be, if you had something inspirational to say to help student parents, members of the CEW community get through this period, what would it be? Or do you have a favorite quote to share? So... I love comedy, and in this time, I I try to support, you know, comedians who are generating content from home or, you know, self-funding their own specials with content that they cut before pandemic hit. So I watch a lot of stand-up comedy, and a lot of it is organic, too. So, like, 
I, I watch a lot of YouTube videos, you know, Instagram videos, things that aren't really overproduced, right? That has a script and a budget and all stuff like that. Like I, I, I like to see the human side of funny, if that makes sense. So I watch a lot of comedy. Do you have a favorite comedian or person that you follow? Probably my favorite comedian of all time is Dave Chappelle, followed by George Carlin. I, I love people who can take situations and make meaningful insights without making the people they're making insights about feel bad. Or make you think. And I think that the person who can do that holds a very important responsibility in society, the person that can make us laugh and make us think. So certainly Dave Chappelle, most of the work that he's done. You're about to go into the inspirational commenter quote. Personally, I think you create your own inspiration and you decide what you want to find inspiration in. I don't think anybody can tell you that. I think that you have to put yourself in a position to find something inspiring. And like it, it can be, it, it can change by the minute what you find. You, you may see someone walking, helping someone else across the street. And one day you see them and you're in a rush and that person is a hindrance on your way. The next day you might have all the time in the world and you see it and it's like, oh, I wish more people would help people cross the street. It's the same exact thing. It's all about perspective. So I would I would say, you know, if you're looking to find inspiration, make sure that you are in the mindset in a position to be inspired, and then it will come to you. Nature will provide it for you. People will provide it for you. But trying to force it and find it out of things that other people find inspirational might not work. I found Michael Jordan extremely inspirational. Some people might find him a turnoff. But it, it even with me, it depends on how I feel the day I watch watch them play. Um, so focus internally first. Just before you can help anybody else, focus on your mindset and what what you want to do, what you want to bring inspiration into this world. And I think that's the point. Nobody, nobody starts out great. Nobody, especially in grad school, you've never written a dissertation before. Why would you think you'd be great at it your first time? Mm-hmm. You've never been through this process. You've never struggled, right? Same thing with students coming into college. You've never worked these muscles. Parents, you until you have kids, you've never been a parent. What makes you think you're going to be great at it initially, unless you work hard at it? So. You know, I, I, I do prescribe to that notion of working hard towards your dreams. Even if you don't make it, you can bask in the fact that you gave it as much as you could. Great parting words. Thank you, Matthew, so much for participating in this podcast. No, thank you. Thank you for listening to CEW's podcast, Strength in the Midst of the Pandemic. To learn more about this episode or the services and virtual programming offered by CEW, please visit cew.umich.edu. 
Here at CEW Plus, we navigate circumstantial barriers by providing academic, financial, and professional support to help you reach your personal potential. Established to support women through higher education, we lift up women in all underserved communities at the University of Michigan and beyond. Through career and education counseling, funding, workshops, events, and a diverse, welcoming community, we exist to empower. We are CEW, and we are here to help you reach your potential. The University of Michigan resides on the traditional territories of the three fires peoples, the Ojibwa, Adawa, and Potawatomi. 